All right. If you have your Bible here this morning, uh, you can open it up to Matthew chapter 10. We are in double digits, folks. No, that, yes, yes. Uh, for, for those of you who are here and you're like, why is that a big deal? Uh, Matthew is a book that has 28 chapters, and we have been in it for over a year, and we have reached chapter 10. So you can tell that we are very, very slow readers. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, you can grab one right over here, free gift to you from us. Uh, you can also download one very easily from the App Store. Uh, but if uh, you don't know who I am, my name is Andrew. Uh, sometimes I get to do fun things like interviewing. A lot of times I get to hang out with community group leaders and uh, just offer some support, coach, uh, coaching them, uh, not as an expert, but sort of as a peer, uh, and, uh, and hopefully uh, just encourage them as they, like Jason and Lisa expressed, seek to, to follow Jesus as he's leading them forward. Uh, before we jump into Matthew chapter 10 today, I'm actually going to get us to back up a little bit uh, because we need some context to understand what Jesus is about to do. So we're going to jump back to what Chris preached on last week. And if you weren't here, uh, feel free to go back, listen to it, or you can watch it. It's Scott over there, he films it every week. And so if you're more of a visual person, great way to just go on our website or on Facebook, you can see that. But we'll start back in chapter, five, uh, chapter 9, verse 35. It says this, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, which is like their churches, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into the harvest field. So what's been going on in Matthew so far is Jesus has come onto the scene and he's expressing this incredible message that God is not absent, that he actually is, is seeing what's going on and, and he's seeing the brokenness. He's seeing the fact that people are living lives that don't reflect him. And he, he's not content to leave it like that. And so he's like, man, I'm actually going to step into your reality so that you can experience a life defined by me. And this is what Jesus is going around. He's proclaiming this good news of the kingdom, that God is bringing his kingdom to bear on our reality. And he grabs a couple of people who are like, man, I, I like that vision. I want in. And he calls them to follow him and he teaches them. And he, he teaches them how this kingdom actually looks in who they become. But he doesn't just leave it there. He actually comes down from this place of teaching up on a mountaintop, and then he starts to demonstrate what the freedom of the kingdom looks like. And so you go around and you see Jesus like dealing with people who are spiritually oppressed, and they're spiritually in bondage, and he frees them. And you see Jesus going to people who are physically disabled, physically injured, and heals them. But even more than that, you see people who are pushed to the outskirts of the society. You know, this would be the equivalent of like going downtown and you meet people and they've experienced abuse and they have severe mental health issues. And Jesus actually says like, yeah, I don't want you just to be over here on the street by yourself. Like I actually want to restore and heal you so you can come back and be part of the, the, the society as a whole. So Jesus comes and he restores people. He says, this is a picture of the restoration that God wants to do in, in all of your life. But throughout that, he, he, he has these little moments where 
he indicates that there's actually a deeper work that needs to be done. A couple, couple of weeks ago, maybe a month and a half ago, we were looking at Matthew chapter 8, and, and Jesus has this guy who's paralyzed, can't walk, and his friends bring him to Jesus, and, and Jesus actually doesn't say, hey, right away, I'm, I'm going to heal you. He says, your sins are forgiven. Now he's, he's indicating that there's a deeper issue that needs to experience this good news that God has come to make a change. And listen to this, verse 36. It says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus looks around and he sees a, a world of lost sheep. And I, I mean, I'm not a shepherd. I'm not really into any kind of like, like farmer stuff. If you do those like personality tests, farmer's like the bottom of my list. I'm like, work with my hands? What is that? <laughs> These are soft hands, people. Like I, I got to push, you know, push my computer keys down half a, half a centimeter. Uh, but here's the reality is, is from what I understand, like sheep are kind of dumb and they, they really need direction. And so you, you actually need someone like a uh, even like now, I think a lot of times we have like sheep dogs, right? They, they come, they herd animals, they keep them away from dangerous areas. What's a sheep without a shepherd? It, it's this creature that's sort of aimlessly wandering around and comes over to here and guess what? That's like the wolf den. You're going to get eaten by wolves. Gets too close to the cliff. I mean, these aren't like majestic mountain goats. These are like domesticated sheep. Gets too close to the cliff, slips, falls, breaks a leg, gets stuck in some, some roots. And then we, we look around at our world, and what do we see? I mean, if, if, you're any, if you see the world anything like, like I do, I, I read the news like every day. Uh, I'm like a news fanatic. Uh, I like to kind of just keep abreast. And I look around, and, and everyone's trying to figure it out. And they all seem to be kind of going in these weird directions. You talk to someone like, hey, what's, what's going on in your life? Man, I, I found this like, really new, cool diet, and it's going to change my life. I'm going to be so happy. Oh, okay, cool. Uh, you talk to a coworker, man, what's, what's going on in your life? Shh, just got this new girlfriend. Oh, man, this is going to revolutionize my game. You know, people are on social media you know, thinking, hey, you know, I got all this access to, to different things that will fulfill me. And yet, you talk to people, and it's not. I mean, we have people. People now are medical professionals now are saying like, we're in like a mental health crisis. Like people are lost. They don't know how to deal with life. They're like sheep without a shepherd. They have no one to guide them forward. Now, here's here's what can happen when we hear that. We as as religious people at times can have this sort of attitude of like, man, the, the world's going to hell in a handbasket. You know, like we got like government attestations and SOGI curriculums, like, oh my gosh. Here's the thing is, is Jesus lives in a world where people are chasing after different things to fulfill them, and his response isn't anger, it's compassion. He looks around at these types of things and he says, this isn't the problem, this is a symptom of something deeper these people do not have a shepherd. They have no one to guide them forward. So listen to what he calls us, his people, to do. 
says, then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful. People are looking for someone, for something to point them in the right direction. But the workers are few. Who's going to tell them? As I was reading through this in kind of preparation, I was reminded of um, a little bit of my story with Shannon. And some of you have heard this before. Maybe some of you haven't. But Shannon and I, we got married, and, uh, and we felt like God was kind of transitioning us to something different. And, uh, and we came and we sat with Chris and Kelly and heard a little bit of their story. And one of the things that captured us was the statistic and Chris mentioned it last week, and we, we mentioned it frequently, but Victoria, Greater Victoria area is about just under 400,000 people. And on any given Sunday, uh, less than 4% of those people would be found in a church gathering like this. Less than 4%. Now, I mean, there's obviously church gathering is everything. We, we say that every week, but the reality is, is it's a good indicator of where people are connected, where they're committed. You hear that statistic, and you can be numb to it. But guys, this is what Jesus is talking about. He hears that statistic, and he has compassion. It's like, there are hundreds of thousands of people in Victoria who don't know Jesus. They're just chasing after significance in all these random directions when they could actually know the God who wants to restore them from the inside out. Do you have compassion for our city? Is Jesus' heart shaping your heart? All right, moving on to chapter 10. So it says this, Jesus called his 12 disciples to him, and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and heal every disease and sickness. First thing I want to just note here is that Jesus has just called his disciples to pray to the Lord of the harvest, to send out more workers, and then Jesus calls his disciples to go out into the harvest as workers. Like Jesus calls people to his mission. If you are in this room and you would say, man, Jesus is my Lord, I'm choosing to follow him, you need to understand that you're not just called to know him, you're actually called also to his mission. The compassionate heart that Jesus has for all of our world is a compassionate heart that he is forming in us. Now, Jesus called his disciples, each individual. We have a few of those stories earlier. Matthew chapter 4, a couple of the guys are out fishing and Jesus says, hey, guess what? I'm actually calling you to fish for men. And that's not like a weird, creepy thing. He's saying, I want people to know who I am. And so I'm I'm calling you to actually go and and pursue people. We have another story in Matthew chapter 8. There's this guy named Matthew. We'll hear about him in a second. And he's just sitting there going about his business. And Jesus comes up to him and calls him. He says, like, I'm calling you to pursue people with me. Here's the reality. If you have been called to Jesus, you have been called to his mission. And if you're not pursuing Jesus' mission, you're not actually living in obedience to what he's called you to. uh, 
gentleman who uh, moved here, he's uh, got some mutual friends of ours, and uh, his name's Chris, great, great guy. Him and his fiance are moving to Victoria. She's moving. He's already moved. And uh, a couple of weeks ago, he showed up here, and, and we were just chatting. He was telling me a little bit of his story. And, and Chris said, yeah, you know, like we were sitting, uh, you know, figuring out the, our future and praying, like, God, where do you want us? And we just kept feeling this, like, draw to BC, draw to BC, like, I think we got to be in. They, they, like, live in Nova Scotia. So, I mean, that's jumping way across the, the ocean. Like, that's a pretty significant departure. Um, and he's like, yeah, I don't know what it was. And I, I looked at him, and I was like, Chris, I know exactly why you're here. It's because we've been praying and praying and praying that Jesus would send more workers in the harvest. You've actually been called here by Jesus. Friends, if, if you're part of this church, if you're here this Sunday, it's because Jesus is calling you. First to know him, but then to do through you what he has done to you. He actually wants to transform you and then use you to transform others. The next thing that we see is Jesus doesn't just call people, but he actually sends them out. He called his 12 disciples to him, and then he gives them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. If we jump over, this whole section that we're about to go into is Jesus' mission discourse. He's actually teaching them like how they're supposed to go out. If we jump forward a little bit, we'll get here maybe next week. Uh, in chapter 10, verse 7, Jesus says, As you go, as you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons, for freely you have received, therefore freely give. Again, what Jesus has done to you, he wants to do through you. We don't want to miss this. Matthew's very explicit. The very work that Jesus has done, he's now calling his disciples to do. The wording is the exact same. Now, it is important for us to understand that this is a moment in time. And Jesus is clear that this isn't a grand thing. He, he actually tells them, just go to people in our own country, in our own uh, demographic. But this is what we call a foreshadow moment. What Jesus is doing here is he's actually teaching his disciples a way to live because he has a plan to send them out in a grand scale. If you have your Bibles open, you can jump over to Matthew chapter 28. This is typically called the Great Commission. This is where Jesus says, okay, I've been living this life. I've died. I've risen from the dead. And now I have all authority. And I actually now commanding you to go out and live out my kingdom. Pursue people as I pursued you. This is what he says in chapter 28, verse 18. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority and in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go. Therefore, go. Not only have you been called, but you've been sent. Tomorrow morning, you're going to wake up, and maybe you're going to head to your job. Guess what? That's not just a job. It's a place you've been sent. Maybe you're going to wake up, and you're going to take your kids to school. So it's not just your kid's school. It's a place that you have been sent. 
Today, after the gathering, you're going to go home. You're going to have that great Sunday afternoon, like, sleep-inducing lunch. You're going to want to go for a nap. Don't go for a nap. Go sit on your front steps. Look around your neighborhood. Because guess what? You've been sent. Now, some of us hear that, and it's, it's actually super intimidating. It's scary, and it's overwhelming. Sent like I I don't I don't know how to go. Like guys, I've I've, I've like I've never gone to Bible college or seminary. I I don't have like any kind of great qualifications. Or maybe for you, you're like man I I don't think I can talk to my coworkers about Jesus. Like what if what if they like think I'm super weird? Guess what? You are super weird. They already think it. So. Cover's blown, just go for it. <laughs> um, or we have all these, these excuses, things that, you know, we, we say should be under Jesus' authority, and yet sometimes they're not. Man, I, I don't have time for that. I don't think I have time to add that to my schedule. I don't have the space. Like, you know, I've been to someone's house who hosts our community group, and it's awesome, and they have tons of people over all the time. It's this huge, big space. I, like, I live in a one-bedroom apartment. I, I don't have the space for that. Or may, maybe it's like, I don't have the resources. Like, I don't, I don't have the money. Here's the really beautiful thing. Listen again to what Jesus says. Jesus called his 12 disciples to him, and he gave them authority. That word authority can be translated power. Jesus gives them the power. So Jesus calls you as a response to the prayer that he calls you to pray. You're actually Jesus' way of fulfilling this prayer. and He sends you. But he doesn't just send you arbitrarily. Jesus sends you with his power. He actually gives you everything you need. I mean, think about it. We have the Spirit of God living in us. We have the Word of God telling us how to live, telling us His great story. We have His church. Jason and Lisa just came up here, and they're like, man, Jesus called us. He sent us, and we didn't know how to do it. And then He provided for us. He actually brought everything we needed to accomplish what He had sent us to. Friends, if you're struggling because you think there's something that you are inadequate, and I hate to burst your bubble, but you're totally inadequate. I'm totally inadequate. Chris is totally inadequate. But Jesus is totally adequate. And we're not going in our strength. I don't know the last time you sat down and like tried to convince someone to believe what you believe. I can't even convince my wife to believe something that's arbitrary and stupid. So when we think about someone's heart being able to be transformed so that they're like, ah, oh, man, I want to submit my life to Jesus. I want to follow him. I want to go and get dunked in a tank somewhere. We can't do that. But Jesus can. And Jesus does. 
one of the best ways that we can train our hearts to understand this is to actually spend some time acknowledging who Jesus is. If we go back to Matthew 28, listen to what happens in chapter 28, verse 16. So these guys have been traveling with Jesus. He, he calls them to meet him after he's risen from the dead and says this, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. You're not actually going to trust that someone has the power or the authority to do something if you don't first trust that they're worthy of your respect and ultimately, in the case of Jesus, worthy of your worship. One of the best things that you can do is submit yourself to Jesus by acknowledging that he is actually God, that he is in control, that he can care for people far better than you can. Some of you in this room today are probably here because someone invited you. You're like, ah, oh, I'm just going to check it out. Or because, you know, your, your mom dragged you out here. Or maybe it's your kid. Your kid dragged you out here and you're like, I didn't, I didn't know what we're going on. I didn't know this would be like a hype mission kind of crazy meeting. And, and you're thinking like, what, what's this all about? And I, I just want to speak to you for a second and say this. This is an invitation for you. To know that there is a God who is pursuing you. You are in this room not by accident. You're in this room because there's a God who cares so much about you that he sent someone to tell you about him. And he wants to invite you into a transformed life. And then he wants to actually use you to transform the lives of the people around you you're looking for purpose, if you're looking for direction, there is no greater purpose and no greater direction than learning to love and worship the God of the universe. The Bible says that he actually knit you together in your mother's room. It wasn't just these cells coming together. It was actually a God who was working to form you and shape you. He knows you intimately. He cares about you so much that he was willing to die for you. And he wants you to join him. Something really beautiful is going on here. Because when we start to acknowledge that, number one, we're just responding to Jesus' call. We're following where he sends us. And we don't even have to do it in our own strength. That makes Jesus the hero. That makes him the superstar. And we don't have to carry that weight. I hear this story about, you know, the state of Victoria, not the story, but these the stats about the state of Victoria. And at times I can be overwhelmed with it. How can we, like we're a church of maybe a couple hundred people, how do we, how do we transform the city? And I remember, man, that's, that's not our job. Our job is just to be faithful. And the beautiful thing is if Jesus is the hero, it means everyone and anyone can be part of this. Listen to this group that he calls. These are the names of the 12 guys 
that Jesus called. First, Simon, also called Peter. Okay, so what do we know about Simon Peter? Number one, fisherman, like blue-collar worker. Uh, nothing against blue-collar workers at all, but like nothing particularly outstanding. You know, we don't know that he's a great, uh, you know, great fisherman in general. He's not like this brilliant entrepreneur. He doesn't have these incredible gift sets. And that's not just his story. That's James and John and his brother Andrew's story. But let's, let's, let's dive a bit deeper. What is, what is Peter's deal? So he, he's like super zealous about Jesus. He's like Jesus' biggest fan. He even has this cool moment where we're going to get to in five years, in like five chapters down the road, where Peter is like, Jesus, I know who you are. You're the son of God. You're the promised Messiah. You're the king that's come to save us. Jesus is like, you got it right, Peter. And then he's like, but this is how it's going to look. I'm actually going to have to suffer and die. Peter's like, no, Jesus, that's never going to happen. I mean, this guy's literally talking to the God of the universe, and he's arguing with him. Can you relate to that? Peter, the guy who's never going to fall away from Jesus, who's like so militaristic, he's like, I got my sword, I'm going to cut off some ears. And then he gets scared and he runs away. And then he comes sneaking back. And he sits in the outer court of the house where Jesus is about to be condemned to die. And someone looks at him and he's like, hey, dude, you, you were with Jesus. No, that's not me. What? Peter, you, you said you would die for Jesus. Oh, but now you don't know him? But guess what? He doesn't just do that once. He does it three times. This guy is not a superstar. It says there's his brother, Andrew, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother, John. Let's, let's look at James and John. What are James and John? They're like shameless self-promoters. Hey, Jesus, when you're king, can we be like your chief henchmen and like have power over one? oh, we're arguing about who's the greatest in the kingdom. It's me, James, or me, John, or hey, these people are like bothering us. Do you want us to call down fire from heaven, Jesus, to consume them? Oh, really? These guys? I mean, we all know those people, right? Shameless self-promoters, like, I'm awesome. And if I'm that person for you, uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Philip and Bartholomew, and we, we don't even know a ton about these guys at all. Like, you know, they're mentioned here. They have a few little, like, cameos. But then they're like, boom, where did these guys go? Bible ends, and they're like, Philip, Bartholomew, what happened to those guys? Thomas, good old Thomas. Jesus has risen from the dead. He appears to his, his disciples, like a, a group of, like, 120 people. And he shows them that he's risen from the dead. Thomas comes along. All these people who saw Jesus die, who mourn for him, are like, Thomas, Jesus is alive. Guys, I'm not going to believe it unless I see it for myself. Jesus stands in front of him. Do you need to stick your finger in the hole where the nail went through my hand, Thomas? Matthew guy who writes this book. And this guy is like a sycophantic C-R-A. 
agent. You know, like the Roman Empire, I mean, this is like this oppressive regime and this guy's collecting taxes. But get this, you know, someone collects taxes, they don't just take it for the Roman Empire, which in and of itself is like, man, you're sucking up to the enemy. But he pads his own pockets. This guy's a thief. And yet, Jesus calls him. It's James, son of Alphaeus, another kind of anonymous, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot. We don't really know much about Simon, but that word zealot, we can mean a couple of different things. Either uh, like zealot in terms of like this military kind of anti-Rome person. So you think about, you know, Matthew, tax collector, sucking up to Rome. And then he's like sharing, you know, a troop of, you know, a crew with, Simon the Zealot, who probably just wants to kill Romans. And even if that's not what he is, maybe he's just religious. Like, he's, there's no way he's going to be associating with this guy. And yet Jesus calls them both. And then, hear this. Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Jesus walks with Judas for three years. He's about to send Judas out to heal people, free them from demons, and preach the good news of the kingdom. And Judas is going to sell Jesus out for a couple of bucks. Guys, there's a reason that Matthew wants us to look and see not this group of superstars, but a group of nobodies, a group of mess-ups. Because he wants us to know that all of this was not them, it was Jesus. Jesus is going to send them out. They don't have any authority or power or skill on their own. But they have Jesus' authority. They have Jesus' message. They have Jesus' words and Jesus' power. The reason that we do these ordinary people interviews every year is because we actually believe that this is true and we want you to see how it gets worked out. You know, a couple of weeks ago, when we had Ken and Shannon just sharing about God's heart for for foster care and how they're opening up their lives and their homes. Like, that wasn't them in and of themselves. They could not have the capacity to have four adoptive kids and then go on to deal with a foster kid in and of themselves. That is Jesus. That is his power and his authority being worked out in their life. Last week when Adam and Heather came out, I came up here and shared, and they only shared like a small snippet of their story they're not going to be effective in transforming their neighborhood. That's Jesus. Jason and Lisa today, they're not going to be effective in transforming the Victoria Grizzlies. But they have Jesus. We may get stuck a little bit when we start to think, like, how, how can we trust this Jesus? 
How can we trust that he's actually able to do what he's called us to do in us? And I just want to say this quickly. The, the ultimate, the, kind of the high point, the climax of Matthew's book, where he spends quite a bit of time, last couple of chapters, is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And here's the beautiful thing about that. Jesus goes to the cross, and he does something that no other person in history can or could have done. He actually takes our brokenness, our sin, our rebellion against God upon himself. He takes the punishment for that away from us. He overcomes our brokenness. And he goes and he dies. But he overcomes death. Hear this. Jesus overcomes death. What is the worst possible fate that you could think of? Death is the end. Man, if Jesus can overcome death, there is nothing that can't be overcome by him. The fear that you have about going and talking to your coworkers, man, Jesus is way bigger than that. He overcame death. The exhaustion that you feel at the end of the day, when you know, like, my neighbor's in their front yard mowing their lawn, I should probably go and talk to them. Jesus can overcome that because he overcame death. He can be your strength. He was sufficient to carry your sin. We can trust Jesus for these little things because he showed us that he could handle the biggest things. What I want to finish off here is just saying this. We as a church often talk about mission, talk about pushing people outwards, and that's a really good thing because this is what God has called us to. Sometimes what we haven't done well is teaching and creating space for us to be faithful and actually asking God to do the work. A couple of weeks ago, uh, Chris blogged a story about Mike Ann. And if you don't know, we have a blog, and it's a really great resource. Uh, we send out, like, helpful tips. Um, we also share stories of our church, and so I definitely encourage you to check it out. Uh, but he shared this story about Mike and Ann, just the way that God's been working in them. Uh, they're community group leaders out in Saanich, uh, what he didn't mention is that Shannon and I, when we first moved to Victoria, we were actually part of their community group for a long time. We actually helped uh, help launch it and were uh, apprentices with them, kind of helping them lead. And, uh, and there's this whole part of this story that we don't talk about a lot, but we were very frustrated because we felt like God was calling us to do this thing, and we kept doing it and doing it in our own strength. And I'm like a strategy and process person. And I kept going to these things and like being like, why aren't these working? Why aren't people getting on board with this? Uh, and it even led to some really harsh and, and uh, frustrating conversations and, and some hurt. And eventually uh, God moved Shannon and I out here to the West Shore and, um, and this group continued on. And, and it came to a point where like Mike and Anna didn't have capacity even to barely lead. And we're like, I don't, we don't know what we're going to do. And they took a step back and they started to pray as a group. And they started to worship Jesus. Eventually they moved to a new neighborhood and this incredible thing happened. Their neighbors in that neighborhood started pursuing them and inviting them to things. It was like God showed up. And he did what they couldn't do at all 
I tell you this story because I want us to be encouraged to know that God is actually capable of showing up and doing what you are incapable of. So what about you? Who has God sent you to? I'm going to invite the band to come up. I want to close by reminding us again of how we can prepare ourselves to understand that Jesus is actually the hero. Because that humbles us. That takes that weight and that pressure off of our shoulders. If you keep that weight and that pressure on your shoulders, you're going to burn out. You're going to become exhausted. First thing is, is just worship Jesus. Submit yourself to him. Acknowledge that he's God. Go to him in prayer and lay these things before him, trusting that he can take care of them. Second thing is, is pray. Pray, pray, and pray some more. I suck uh, at praying as much as I should, and this has been a challenge to me as I've been reminded. Pray to the Lord of the harvest. We have a couple of things that we as a church just like to help each other with. One, number one is uh, 10.02 every, every week or every day, set your alarm. And when that alarm goes off, just pray. Pray for Victoria. Pray for your coworkers. Pray for your neighborhood. Pray for your kids' school. Pray for your family. And as an act of repentance, the, the elders of our church have actually called us as a church to regularly make this a rhythm of our month to come together corporately and pray. This isn't a waste of time. This is the best use of time. Because if Jesus is the one who's doing the hard work, probably we should go to him. So the third Tuesday of every month, we encourage our church family to pray and fast, become dependent on Jesus, and then gather for an hour in the evening just to pray together. The final thing is obey. Each of these stories that we shared, Mike and Anna, Uh, we, we have our, our other community groups leaders like Caleb and Jenny Ray on Souk, each of our ordinary peoples, Jason and Lisa, Adam and Heather, Shannon and Ken. They could have just said, yeah, I want you to do something, Jesus. And then he put an opportunity where he wanted to send them. And they would have said no. There is a, a reality that we are invited to participate in Jesus' mission. We don't carry the weight of it, but we do get to participate in it. So the last thing I want to encourage you to do is obey. Ask, who has Jesus sent you to? And what does it look like to faithfully pursue those people as Jesus has faithfully pursued you? We're going to get to respond to who Jesus is and what he's done in a couple of different ways. have it on either side. And this is just a reminder of the extent that Jesus went to on our behalf, but also of the power that he has, that he took upon himself our brokenness and he conquered death. We're also going to get a chance to worship Jesus through song. This is a way that we discipline our hearts by proclaiming the true things that are about him in a language that actually stems from deep inside of us. And we're also going to get to respond through giving. So recognizing Jesus is the one who does all the work, we can trust him to provide for the little things. Let me pray for us. Father, I want to thank you so much for this day. Thank you for the call that you have placed on us. And thank you that you have a heart for Victoria greater than any of us do. That you have sent us out. Father, I do not know what this looks like, but I trust 
that each person in here has the capacity to be used by you to at least change one other life. And so, Father, I just ask that your spirit would work through us, that we would go out not by our own strength or our own authority, but by your authority, your power, that it would be your words given to us by your spirit that would transform hearts that have been massaged to receive them by you. Pray this in your name. Amen.